everybody. I'm Adam Hergenrother. This is Business Meets Spirituality. We believe in personal growth through business success. Today, I'm joined by my chief of staff, Hallie Warner. Hallie, how are you? I'm great. I know you are. Ready to go. And you were fired up this morning. You had a great night's sleep. You're ready to roll today. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, We're going to talk about money today. One of those things that when you hear the word money, you can cringe. or you can be inspired, or you can just be indifferent about it. There's five or six made points that we wanna to, want to make throughout this podcast, but money is one of those things that can uh, have such an impact on your life, good and bad. And it doesn't, and that's good and bad isn't a necessarily a reflection of how much money you make. It's, um, it's a reflection around your mindset around money. So I'm just curious, Hallie, when you grew up, how did you think about money? What was your childhood like around money? Because while we share some philosophies the same about money, we have a little bit different viewpoints on it as well, too. So what was, I'm just curious because I think, I think people don't recognize that how they believe what their beliefs are about money or how they think about money has way more about how they actually were raised and how they were, how they were taught to think about money than actual money itself. Well, or I think the fact of the matter is that very few of us were actually taught about how to think about money. It's more of just what did we pick up by osmosis of being around our parents or whoever our caregivers were and saw how they interacted and spoke about money, which we then would often internalize. My parents did not teach me about money. Um, I didn't have an allowance and I didn't, did I have an allowance? No, I definitely did not have an allowance. Yeah. But if we did want anything, we... Well, I had very few wants probably because it just was not like an ex. Yeah. We just didn't, yeah. we weren't expected to have a lot of wants. Our needs were all taken care of. And if we really wanted something, it would be a Christmas gift or a birthday gift or something yeah. like that. We would just buy things to buy them. But I think a couple of the key th- takeaways that I have around money and growing up were um, security, money equaled security. Mm-hmm. And my parents were always savers. I did always see them meeting every single week about money. So that is something. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Every week they would go over like the checkbook and actually interesting, you know, um, the story. They had like a partnership around it. Oh, they did. You know, you know, story worth. Yeah. So I'm, my parents have the story worth app or whatever. And so they were sharing a story and I, they vaguely remember this one, but it reminded me in a story that my mom was sharing that they had, there was something with my dad when he went to the military, they expected him to get this like sign on bonus but it didn't come through for like two or three weeks. Hmm. And they were like 20 years old, 22 years old. And they just got married and they had, they literally had no money and they were like scrimping and like penny counting pennies literally. And in, and every week they would sit down when they had no money and they would meet and say, okay, we've got like $5. What are we going to do with our $5 this week? Um, and they've continued that for 35 years. So I did learn that from them. Um, I don't necessarily have the scarcity mindset around money that I think they, they had a little bit. Um, but anyway, always taught to save for what you wanted, um, to be mindful of your money and where it was going. And then also I didn't realize until I was much older that I, we didn't have really have any money, but I never would have known that my parents always saved and we went to Disney and they always saved, saved, saved. And we had, you know, anything we beautiful Christmases and, you know, anything we could ever want or need. I had no idea that we really had no money. Yeah, that's (laughs) awesome. You know, um, one of the things that I, that I just knowing you for so long too, as well as you is, I wonder if that security piece comes because you, I mean, you have equity in companies, but you would rather have 
a amount that you know that's coming in every month mm-hmm. versus equity. So I'm curious if that came in um, and maybe some people are listening would rather have like, hey, I'd rather have a higher salary yeah. than have more risk. Even though you are entrepreneurship, right? Yes, you have that that entrepreneurial tendency to Absolutely. do that, but it doesn't really come from money, which I always thought was fascinating. Yeah. You know what I think it came from? It's my uh, huge value in my family is hard work. So, and I, but, but isn't, but isn't, so isn't hard work coming from more of the, yeah, I know, but I think that, yeah. So I think there's this dichotomy for me where I'm going to work hard no matter what, and I'm going to work really hard. So I don't need the money to incentivize me to work hard. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. So I would rather know what I'm getting because I'm going to work just as hard no matter what. Yeah. So I'd like the predictability. That's a good point. Maybe just because you already know how much you're going to go give into it. So you're yeah. not looking for, you don't, you're like, I don't need to go work harder because I'm already going to be at that level. So why don't you just pay me yeah. at that level? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually what the owners of Netflix believe as well. I, yeah. If you read that book from Reed Hastings, no, yeah. no Rules Rules, that's what he believes. Pay your talent at a high level if they need to be incentivized. I'm not talking about 1099 or you know yeah. contract workers, but if your talent and I, I believe this, I don't know if you do, but I do. If your talent needs to be incentivized by all of these extra things to work hard, they might not be the right people. I don't need all these extras to work hard. Yeah. I'm going to always work hard. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two different schools of thought on that, right? I think yeah. there's a lot of companies that I could point to that have done extremely well where they've incentivized people to go out and, and build and get a, and get, you know, some sort of profit interest or equity in the company that is able to happen because of their hard work of things that they're I doing. I think it's a reward yeah. for the hard work done, not a carrot that I need to chase. Yeah. I, 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 get, I agree with that. I mean, I think people that are around you that are leadership shouldn't be having a conversation every moment about, Hey, what's, where's my money going to come from? Or what's this next opportunity for me in terms of how am I going to get paid more without necessarily getting there? Um, but one thing that you, you do is you would put you would put less money into your pocket, put more money back into the company's pocket. And I have other leadership that would do the opposite, not in a negative way. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's just a different thinking, different thinking it, yeah. about money. That's why we're kind of breaking that down really. And I think it, a lot of it stems from how you were raised around money and, and how you view it. Like for me, for instance, you know, my father, when he was a, he's always been a sole entrepreneur and he worked at IBM and he left IBM to go be a sole entrepreneur essentially. Right. And so it was all about using money to go invest into things like into, he did it. He didn't invest into people. He would invest into, he didn't invest himself to go back to school yeah. um, at, a, at a later age in his thirties that he would. But I, and then I started seeing money as a, is as a sign of success. Mm. And so I, and that's what he really in his, he's changed a lot, but in his early days, and we were talking 20, 30 years ago now, I mean, I'm almost 40, it's kind of crazy. But, um, and when I was growing up, that's what it was. It was like, he had some nice cars. Like he, it was more about like, you know, the more money you made, the more you made it in life. Yeah. And so for me, when I first started getting into it, into business, it was like, I need to prove to the world and the way I proved to the world or proved to myself or proved to my parents is that I go get money. And once I go get money, then I've proven everybody that I can do it. Yeah, that's, I actually hadn't heard that story, believe it or not. Yeah. And so that's, that's how I viewed money. Most of my life was, well, I'm successful and I'm, I'm meaning, I have some sort of meaning to contribute to the world based on what assets that I have that I can show off. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to add, it's almost the exact opposite actually with my family, which is success was based off of how hard did you work and were you an achiever? And it had nothing to do with money. It just meant straight A's, making sure you're the top on whatever you do, 
but it was never, it was yeah. never tied to mon- money. And my, and my point in, in bringing this up and this kind of first topic of money is have you stopped and really realized what drives you around money? Because something is driving you that you, you think you're in control of it, but most people are not. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've shared that, you know, the story, but when I actually realized that money would never do that for me is actually when I changed my beliefs around money, then it was about investing into myself, raising my own lid, then investing into other people mm-hmm. dramatically instead of, you know, in that beginning philosophy, we were just talking about this with a, with a vendor of mine. Um, you know, I don't, I actually don't want to do business with them anymore because their way of doing business is they need to win and you need to lose. And that's how I actually operate. I can recognize it because I operated like that way for a long period of time in the beginning. And then I realized I just didn't like who I was. Mm -hmm. And so that's when it switched to, okay, well I can win. And so can't you right now. You're not going to let people screw you. You're not going to let, you know, people take advantage of you. I'm not saying that, but you don't need other B2B companies to lose so that you can win. And 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 if if you operate that, that's more of that kind of mercenary attitude or mentality. That's fine. You can go become very wealthy doing that. Or I'd say you can become very rich doing that. Now, um, so I just want you to kind of pause for a second as you hear this and go, what is your orientation in life? Maybe take a few minutes and orient yourself or journal about where did money really come from for you and what beliefs do you have around money and how is that showing up in your life now? Because the thing is, no matter what has happened, you can make those changes and shifts now. Right. I was going to say, do you still actually believe that? Yes. And if you do, fine. Because you may not actually believe it, but you may be running it with a, with an unconscious belief, Absolutely. not knowing that. And that's what we see too many times yes. of people doing is like they're keep doing and repeating the same patterns that people have taught them instead of actually creating their own, because it's almost safer and easier to just hold on to the ingested patterns of money than versus creating ones for yourself. Or- and it's hard to distinguish between what is learned yeah. versus oh, maybe this is just who I am. Yeah. It's, there's a hard to distinguish that, but as you you know, continue to go down this path, you can start to distinguish yeah, between you, the two. You just got to stop and go, okay, let me, let me investigate. Mm-hmm. And that's an internal investigation. And I think everybody should go through that process, right? As you go through that internal investigation, you'll start to uncover your unconscious beliefs around money, right? So you, when you did that, yours changed. They changed dramatically, yeah. right? And they, I just realized, well, for me, it was just, I felt hollow and authentic and, yeah. and it just, it wasn't, I was like, it's not, this is not who I want to show up to be. I couldn't say it. I didn't say it necessarily like yeah. that. I just knew like, wow, this kind of sucks. And if I stop and investigate, I actually still believe the same yeah. thing pretty much, I would say. Yeah. Because like, you know I'm not totally motivated by You're not motivated by money, money at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of people are. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean if you are or not, it doesn't matter. No. It's no. just, it, it's just understanding why are you motivated by money? Why are you not motivated by money? Mm-hmm. So either way, you're just doing an inquiry. Because it doesn't matter whether you believe what I say or believe what Howie says. That's irrelevant for this podcast. The whole point of that is to say, where are you? That's the whole point, right? So that's the first kind of bullet point on this is do some self-inquiry investigation around your beliefs around money because it's, it's far less likely that you're living the beliefs that you think now and you're actually in your, and you're relying on old fashioned beliefs that you basically had um, just ingested early on in life. It's always fascinating too. When you think about teachers while their purpose was to serve and and contribute, which they do an amazing job. And I think they're, they're way underpaid for a lot of these things because they think that in their retirement that they would just be taken care of. And I think one of the reasons why it's not taught in schools is because they don't actually know how to be an investor. They don't know how to think about money. 
They know that they have, and I'm not saying they, they can't pay their bills and stuff. They just don't go out there and think about money that same way. But the reality is we should be teaching our kids, our, our employees, all about money in terms of what it is. First of all, it's a tool, but we know that. But just beyond that, at early ages, just having conversations how around money. How to use that tool. How to use it. What is it? You know, it's, it's you know, at the end of the day, and we'll get into this kind of this, this second point, um, which is to make money or not make money has a, has more probably to do with luck than people think it does. Mm-hmm. And Warren Buffett says this actually very well. He goes, if I had been born 200 years ago, I would be dead before I was seven. Cause I can't pick up a hammer and I can't do anything. <laughs> I happen to be born into a time where we're investing and people that invested properly were rewarded financially for this. And that became very natural for me. And, and in fact, he started investing when he was 10 and then basically, um, you know, he had a couple million dollars and he was in, in his early twenties, which gave him this big, big head start. But what's really fascinating with Warren Buffett is 99% of his wealth came after he was 50 years old. And so if you actually look at that, he'd been investing for 40 years before he started generating that. And 97% of his wealth, I think came after he was 60. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And so he had 40 years on there. So that kind of that, um, y- you walk this tightrope for a long period of time in your life where you may, you may be investing or making decisions and then it may not work out the way you want. And you go, oh, I just can't make money. Well, that's not always the case. Every time you make a bet, right. Or, or you make a decision to use your money, there's a probability that could go down or up. And so sometimes you just pull the card of the probability it went down, <laughs> And then conversely, when you make money and, and you make money or you invest money or you, you do something to invest money to increase it as you're thinking about money in an investor or investments and you make money from there, you tend to over um, inflate what you did to actually earn that money. And so therefore yeah. there's no pattern or process to repeat that process. So if I ask everyone's podcast, write me out a plan of how you, how your money earns money. Because really, I'm not talking about there's the earned income, which is the salary W-2 income that people can make in exchange for that. But it's that that's fine. But what are you doing with your salary? Right. What, what are you doing with that money? What's the plan for that? And most people go, well, I don't know. I'm just going to go work. Mm-hmm. Or I'm just going to put it in the stock market again, which is totally fine. But there's some there's risk there and there's luck. Yes. There. Yes. Um, I can't remember where we heard this, but like risk and luck almost have the exact same definition. Yeah. I think it was in thinking in bets. Maybe it came maybe, from that. Yeah. Maybe, but yeah. And even thinking in bets, Annie Duke talks about um, resulting, which is mm-hmm. weighing weight, putting way too much emphasis on the result of a decision um, and thinking that that is actually um, dictates whether or not it was a good decision, which in fact it doesn't. Yeah. Um, the decision could be good. You can't guarantee what the outcome is. Yeah. Going to, you know, going to come from that. Yeah. You know, early in my career, I made a lot of bets that were, that I, as I, I always use that that word kind of like walking a tightrope that I could have fallen on the other side. Mm. Like it very easily could have fallen that way. And I would have, I don't know what would have happened, but it would have been a much more difficult conversation yeah. or a much more difficult situation to get out of. So do you think there was a luck in place? Oh, there? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. There was luck. I think, you know, I think you prepare yourself to take advantage of luck, right? So it's not all luck. Like, you know, Warren Buffett worked really hard and did the right things and got there, but there's an element of luck, whether and, and he tell you that he, he's the one who's, kind of got me on that whole luck thing anyways. He's like, forget about just what I did. I was lucky to be born at this time into the place that I was with the father that I had. So there's luck no matter some element of your life. Well, and I I love the story, which is um, Bill Gates went to the only high school in the entire country that had a computer. 
Now, do you, would he still have been successful in story. some yeah. way? Yeah. Sure. I'm sure he would have. Would he have figured out computers later in life and whatever? But literally he was at the only high school in the country with a computer. How many people think know that? And like, cause they see Bill Gates now, but he literally, yes, he is very brilliant. He's smart, yeah. but. And he knew what to do with the computer and knew how to tap into that opportunity. Yes. And, you know. But the, but the luck yeah. that he happened to be there at a high school that had the only computer in the country. Right. <laughs> That, I mean, fate, lo- I mean, this is whatever you want to do. He happened to be there. Then he took advantage of it. And that's the point exactly. we're taking. Like, exactly. it, that's why people see the opportunity that's in front of them. Sometimes you have to take advantage of that. You have to, mm-hmm. you have to understand that the dynamics, the opportunity and when luck's playing on your side, then uh, the only problem to make on this on the other side is that when luck doesn't go on your side, you don't need to stop mm-hmm. because there's going to be times in business careers and in your life where luck doesn't fall on your side. And it's going to feel like you don't know how to do something or feel like you're a failure or an imposter or inauthentic, whatever that case may come up you just got to keep going because you just may have pulled the card of just lack of luck for timing. I mean, economic mm-hmm. conditions, for instance, I'll give you a prime example of this. We launched a, um, a healthcare campus, as you know, um, March of last year. Yes. And guess what happened March of last year, Yeah. which was in, in depending on when you're listening to this, it was 2020 of March COVID hit. And in the state of Vermont, they shut our facility down. Yes. And so that was a $7 million facility that was launched that cost about $35,000 a month, actually cost $50,000 a month to run. Mm-hmm. But we had a couple tenants in there prior to them actually COVID. And then basically we couldn't open back up. So we carried this for nine, 10 months until we could start getting people back in there. Now, if I didn't have income and even if you had had, actually it took almost, it took a year, more than a year to get back to yeah. stabilization to t- today. Like we're in May and we're just getting back to stabilization in June of that project. So if you didn't have the cash flow to be able to support that, that would have been really bad luck and probably would have bankrupted most people yes. or work out financing or some sort of other option yeah. that just wouldn't have been good. So it's like, cause that building, once it started being able to open back up was leasing up. Right. And so it's just funny. Like that was, that's just luck that just happened. We happen to be able to afford it, to carry it. But if somebody just started their first one and launched that and they had 600,000 or 500,000 to carry it, once that money went up, that would have been a problem. Right. So how do you safeguard against luck? Well, I think, well, I I think for one, I mean, that's why I'm, there's a lot of people in real estate as brokerage who want to get into development and construction. I just, caution people very heavily not to unless they have the capital to unless they have the capital the investors because real estate development you can't get out of like like real estate and it can go bad a lot of companies that are knowledge base can for the most part if they decided today that i was going to fire all of our employees i would have probably zero expenses tomorrow Right. More of that service based. Exactly. That yeah. knowledge service based thing that you're doing. However, maybe you have a, a lease, right? That you have obligated to do and, and you get out of that or if it's LLC or whatever. Or so yeah. Exactly. Whatever that is. But um, in, real, in real estate and development, you take out a loan for $5 million in the bank and you go, hey, COVID just hit. And by the way, you weren't an existing company. So before last year, so you can't get any funds to help out for paying for this. So good luck. Mm-hmm. And the bank doesn't care. Mm-hmm. And so then you go, oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, that's a problem. And so you have to be willing to stay out of long-term debt contracts or obligations. That's the, that's the safe part. Take ones that you know, kind of in this example, we didn't know that was going to happen, but we had the cash flow in the means to be able to carry it for over a year. Right. And so you're only a, you're, you're, you're a, an investor if you can handle the negative cash flow of a building. You're a risk taker if you can't. 
And I think that's the two different things that people try to go themselves into. And early in my career, if that had happened, we probably would have been in some workout financing situation because that happened because I just didn't have that, you know, 35, 40 grand in free cash flow to be able to put towards that project. And so that's where I, I said, we kind of got lucky on a lot of these things where, where it fell our way. Right. And, and that, that was a, it fell my way. And that was a, that was a big, Although I was going to say like some people would actually say that it didn't right. Because COVID happened and someone say, well, that's bad luck. Yeah. But actually you're, kind of thinking of it in a different, different way. Like yeah. think, you know, good thing we had all this capital yeah. to support it. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. The other point that we want to make here, um, which I think is probably the, one of the most important ones is your people's expectations around their income. If you're not, if you're not paying attention to this will, will cause you an extreme amount of suffering in your life. Let me explain what I mean here. As people's income rises, so people go from 30,000, 50,000, 50 to hundred. It doesn't matter hundred to 250. It does. It's the same principles that happen. It doesn't matter. You just add numbers to it. As people's income rises, people tend to increase their expectations in alignment or further out than their actually income is. So therefore they never gain a Delta of joy or happiness. So what you're doing is if you go from 50 to a hundred thousand dollars, now your expectations for your life are at a hundred thousand dollar level. So you actually never gain the internal enjoyment that you're looking for. What you end up doing is you just increase your expectations for things, right? For whatever that means, your lifestyle, things, all that stuff that match your new income. And so then you just play this game your entire life. Then it goes to 500,000. Then you just, oh, here it is, right? That's now I can buy this house. I can have this car. Like you just increase it. But the, the fundamental point I want to make with this, if you don't know what your, your, your number is, and once you get there, then you need to just understand you've gotten there and you're there and you just need to settle. It's kind of like, uh, I'll give you two examples of like professional sports players, right? A lot of them make five, six, seven million dollars a year, right? I mean, at that, at that level. And so instead of going out there and paying a million dollars cash for a house, what do they do? They go buy three houses at five million dollars each and finance it, which is fine because they can carry it for the period of time where they're playing. But most people's careers are three to five years. And so then when they stop doing that, they go bankrupt or have to sell it because of that issue. And so instead of setting themselves up and using that money, investing it, they increase their expectations. They were still playing basketball. The day later they got all this money. They just increase their expectations dramatically to match or over exceed their income levels. So is that the same concept of like people who are living, not living within or below their means? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's the same concept. It's, but the, the question comes down to is why are people doing that? Right. Because they are like, okay, more money equals more happiness. Well, what well, they're, they're playing this judgment game. They go, well, Hallie has that stuff and, and okay. she seems really good. So then I need, I should probably be there to do that too as well. But the thing is when, when Bill Gates is on his deck drinking his favorite drink, whether that's a wine, a seltzer, whatever it is, his physical experience is no different than you doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. No difference. When, when I look at my own life, I mean, well, his I, internal experience, internal experience. Yeah. Yes. I think things are different. You can buy time. Physical experience might be different. It might be, his in, beach, I meant like physical. Or, or, yeah. Well, here, let's just use the example of a yeah. beach. Yeah. Beaches are free. Depends on where they are. So he may have his own beach, but so he goes down there his feet are in the sand. Your feet can be in the sand. Yeah, fair he can enough. be with yeah. whoever he wants. That experience that he's having on the beach is not going to change anybody else's experience on the beach. But then you go, oh, I need to have that. I see over there. He's got that. He must be having a different experience than me. Sure. Yeah. And that's the expectation experience that I'm talking about. Yeah. And that just doesn't change. Bill Gates, when he walks into his $50 million home, does not feel any different after, after a little while than you do walking into your house. I promise you that. Mm-hmm. Now, his environment is different. 
and that's awesome. He's been famous for saying that he's like, you know, my house has 27 rooms. I can only sleep in one of them at a time. And so this, yeah. the, the point is, is you're not going to feel any different. So stop having this expectation that as your income rises, you're going to feel different about some experience you're going to get because you all you're going to be playing this game for your entire life, which is why billionaires keep needing more things because all it does is like, Oh, now I make a million then 5 million, then a hundred million. And it's like, well, I can buy an Island. I can have this. And there's the cool, they're fine. But his experience traveling to that, I promise you doesn't feel that much different than you going on your own vacation, driving your kids to the, to the beach. In fact, it may be more. I even think about this in my own house. I mean, I've lived in multi multi-million dollar homes and I've and at the same period of time the same amount of money that I was making I've lived in places that are $150,000 for 9 to 10 months while I'm renting while we're building another house and what's fascinating is Sarah and I my wife we can look and say we didn't feel any different we had just as much happiness or joy in that place as we did our other ones. Now there's some comforts in the other things and some more things you can do that can enhance your experience. But in terms of your actual joy, it's not going to change. Yeah, it's not. I even my parents grew up in, in this how our house just came up for sale that we grew up in. It was $24,000 and they bought it. It was 800 and something square feet. My joy in that house hadn't didn't change compared to the houses that we started growing up in and having different ones. There's no difference. Yeah, I, I was going to say that sometimes um, Bill and I talk, my husband and I talk about when we had like no money and we lived in this like 300 square foot apartment and we were just getting our careers off the ground. We were like, man, life was so fun back then. Yeah. And because it was so simple. Yeah. And and of course, now we're, we make far more money than that and do pretty much. We don't have yeah. extravagant taste, but we basically do whatever yeah. we want. And sometimes we look back and we're like, God, life was just like so simple and happy. Yes. And now it's like more complex. And now we, now we have money and like, what do we do with it? Or do yeah. we keep working harder? Do we not? Do we like, it's more. Yeah. And I mean, my, my like income and everything is like much less, but it is still con like um, than millionaires. Right. But it's still complicated. And sometimes it's, we I go back and think yeah. if I could just go live in that little apartment again and just have my little life. It would be so great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and so that's the whole point that we're making here is that just don't have this. And you, people already know this. Every time we bring this conversation, they go, oh yeah, we know, we know, but then people act differently. So just stop thinking that as your income increases, that your joy is going to increase your income increases and you want to go buy a car, or buy a second home. Awesome. Great. Don't ever have any pressure on your business or you to support that endeavor which is why you always want to get yourself in situations for any luxury items beyond your original house, like to buy a second home or golfing memberships or second cars, any of those things that, I mean, second cars, a family, like second car for you, whatever that is, you don't ever want to have your business have pressure to support a lifestyle because that's what so many people get caught up in. Mm, yeah. Then what they're doing is they're going, I've got to make money and they make ra irrational decisions around their time in their their happiness at work because they feel like they need to support this lifestyle that they couldn't afford in the first place. Right. Or they d take too much risk in the business, hoping that yes. it might. Yeah. And either one is, just, yeah. yeah. And, and so I don't like, I, like re retirement is like freedom. So freedom just means that like you can, you have the unearned income that you can do the things that you want to do, or you have it reserved or whatever that is. You paid off everything. Mm -hmm. I promise you that will feel so much better to be living way below your means than it is to live even close to your means and certainly way above your means because people are walking around there. They're, they're putting a front on that makes it seem like they have all this money, but inside, I promise you, they are miserable. Do you think that's because there is that most people really do want security? 
or is it because they really want freedom? I think they want maybe both, yeah. but I think what people get caught up in is the ego thinking that they need to keep up with the Joneses, which by the way, the whole analysis of keeping up with the Joneses was a cartoon in the early 1900s about um, two people living in an apartment about, and they wrote an article, the, the cartoon comic strip was about keeping up with the Joneses who was next door. That's where that keeping up with the Joneses came from. <laughs> I didn't know cartoon that. character uh, script. But anyways, and that was about trying to keep up with somebody else's lifestyle. Right. And so we just do this thing where we just project some level of joy based on what we see somebody else doing, having some new experience or having some new thing, thinking that if we do that, that we're going to feel like they do. But the reality is most people go around, most people aren't okay. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. know how to say that. You already know this. If you're listening to this podcast. You 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 know that you, even yourself, you don't have to even go beyond anybody else. Think about, do you feel really that much better after you buy things? No, you don't. Maybe for a day you feel great at some point it subsides and you go, I got to do something else. Mm-hmm. So stop that game again. Once you get your number, so understand what that number is, right? That once you get there, when you make more income, yeah, take a percentage of it and do fun things. I'm not saying don't buy the things or have experiences. If you have the money, what do you mean by the number? You don't mean like your annual income number. Yeah. I just mean like, what is your freedom number? I mean, you know, Mr. Money Mustache is a great example of that. They said we need $600,000 approximately in the bank to be able to have $30,000 coming in after tax. And we're going to live off $30,000 passively, passively. Yeah. yeah. And so you can just, you can just, you can understand what that number looks like. And I think the, the starting point for this is people going, what can I get rid of in my life? That's causing mental clutter that I just don't need. And then start, how do I start being free by paying off my house or, you know, uh, repositioning ourselves, getting out of other debt that's not there, even just getting out of car payments, any credit card debt that you have, really attacking those things and start seeing how you actually truly feel from getting rid of those things versus in going on the next vacation. Because you may feel good to go on that vacation by showing it on Instagram or social media, but when you come back and you look at your credit card statement, you go, why did we just do that again? Mm. There's way too many people that do that. Yeah. Instead of realizing we could have just taken the vacation, drove to the beach, or just did a bunch of things wherever we are, spent 25 cents on the dollar compared to that vacation was, and had more of an experience because you knew it was within your means or less than your means. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I mean by really just kind of understanding that um, you can still have those experiences. You didn't know that you're making maybe a short-term sacrifice for- For your joy. For your joy and for just- yeah, you just your life. put more stock into the experience than what the experience looks like on social media, <laughs> period. Yeah. The second, the last kind of component to this is, um, wealth is hidden, rich is seen. And so what I mean by this is that wealth, you can't determine someone's wealth, right? Unless you know the person or they have a history, like I'm sure everyone knows in their town, somebody that's wealthy, right? But if you actually went and looked at most of the people that are wealthy, they don't look like rich people. <laughs> rich is like, what can I, what can I spend money on to show the world that I have money? Mm-hmm. And that's being rich. And a lot of times that's leveraged debt. Like they may have a really nice car or a Mercedes, Lamborghini, whatever that is. They're driving around there and everyone's like, wow, they must be really rich. And maybe they are, but most people are, have a $2,000 a month payment, right? On that car, mm-hmm or a thousand dollar a month payment on that car they're playing it, but it's all about showcasing their richness. Right. <laughs> and your richness is trying to keep up with your ego because your ego says, I need to show the world that I've done this and I need to keep up with it. So you forces you to go make these decisions about showing the world that you have income and wealth is not seen. So rich is seen through assets, right? Things that you, uh, cars aren't really an asset. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you just acquire through things, right? right like that, um, like, thousand dollar pair of heels yeah, whatever it is right your or bag whatever. or whatever it is I mean, unless you're like really into shoes yeah. but yeah well here you can go if you 
and I've heard, uh, you know, Gary Keller say this before too. He's like, you want to go buy the thousand dollar heels or the $200,000 car? Fine. You better just be making a tremendous amount of money where it doesn't matter. Right. And that's the point. Right. Like you can go have that and, and do it. But I've told him, I, prom- I promise you, when you go buy that, you better not be buying that to make it feel like you need to showcase that off because it won't work. Right. It could be just that you're a, that's just your hobby or your, yeah. Or maybe you really like cars. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with really liking cars, but do you really like cars because you really like them? Or do you really like cars because you like the way you, it projects you in the world? Two different things. Yeah. And then, well, I think about books when I think about things that I really like and I'm like, yeah. I just buy all these books because I want people to know that I have all of these books. <laughs> no, I don't really, but I had to stop and think you about like, it for yeah, a second. Yeah. Well, and there's things like we all have these urges from the human side of like wanting to splurge on things. So I, like a hack for that. And I've shared this before is just like, I try to buy things that don't really cost lots of money, like sweatshirts or t-shirts sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, and, or all birds. <laughs> Because whenever yeah. I feel the urge to go buy something, like yeah. it happens sometimes. And if you just want to just do it, like buy a bunch of socks yeah. or I buy, hoodies I buy books. or buy books. Yeah. Exactly. And you just like, oh, I got that through. Yeah. And it was like 60 bucks or 20 bucks compared to, you know, $100,000 watch or $50,000 car where you just made a decision. Because then you go back two weeks later, you go, why don't I even buy this thing? You just always do. Um, so just, again, just knowing that when you're, when you're buying things, wealth is the things that aren't seen your bank account. Nobody sees your bank account. Mm-hmm. Nobody sees your wealth. You know, one time I was, I was actually meeting with an accountant and I was actually switching accounts and I was going through there and we we're finishing up our year. And he said, uh, you know, I don't, I, he said, you have to pay this amount of money in, in, in taxes. He goes, you know, the interesting thing for me is we see how much people make. We don't see how much people keep. Uh, and it was kind of yeah. interesting. He goes, he goes, because a lot of people that make a lot of money, they can't pay their bills. So he goes, I don't know what kind of cash you have. Yeah. I said, well, we can pay it because we have the cash. And he goes, well, that's good because most people, have high incomes and they can't pay their tax bills because they're spending it all. Because they're spending it all, so it's it's they don't they see the income the rich side they don't see the wealth side. You're a financial advisor or somebody that can see that wealth side, but it's like people don't necessarily know what buildings you own. They don't know how much you owe on the building. They don't know what your equity position is in the building. They don't know what your IRA accounts look like. They don't know how much you've paid off in your house. They don't right. I mean, you could have a million dollar home, but if you have a eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage on it, and that's a stretch for you, then that's a challenge, right? So it's nothing wrong with mortgage debt as long as it's, you can afford it. And as long as it's, it's working in the right direction for those things, I think all their debt is personally, I think you should, you should kind of move away from that. Mm -hmm. Um, unless you're, unless you have the money sitting in the bank and you just rather, you know, have a zero interest car loan. I I know, I know friends that have plenty of money that have car loans and they could pay it off in a second. They just think that they would rather just have the payment and then zero interest. And that's fine too. Just do those things, but they need to call doing it. Yeah. Consciously. Yeah, exactly. And And not doing it for another reason. So Ronald Reed, he, and this is a famous story back in 2014, he died. Mm-hmm. Um, but he happens to be from Vermont, Rutland, yeah. which is pretty fascinating. Uh, Brattleboro area. Brattleboro area. Think, yeah. Yeah. Southern Vermont. And, uh, so Ronald, Ronald Reed basically, um, was a janitor and a gas station attendant for his entire life. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he ever made more than like 35 or $40,000 a year. I'd say even 50. 50. Yeah. Time, I don't think right? it was, yeah. it was even more. I don't think it was, I think it was in the thirties, but not more than 50. And, um, and so basically he went, cause this is the, the last component of this is that it doesn't matter what you make. It's all about your savings rate. Mm-hmm. Kind of rhymes, right? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter what you make. It's all about how much you save and, and his and ex- invest and yeah. invest saving invest. Yeah. yeah. And his classic example of this is when he died, he had been investing for what? 60, 70 years. Was, yes. Somewhere around there. Yeah. He died at like, I believe he was 90. 
92, 92 yeah. and he never made more. I think I'm pretty sure it's in the 30 to $40,000, just under $50,000 a year, never made more than that. And he walked away with about $6 million that he donated. Yeah. His estate was worth 8 million when he passed away and then he donated six, six million. Yeah. And they were completely shocked. Everybody was They actually wrote yeah. a big article. They just read a, wrote a recent article last year or two in Vermont about him as well, too. Yeah, I think it's on fool.com, which may have something to do with the Motley fool. Yeah. I'm not sure. But, but either, yeah. either way, they just, they're so shocked because people in the community were like, yeah, this guy was, how did he have $8 million? Uh, yeah. He's a guy, he was just a janitor in there. I and mean, what it came down to is time of investment and savings. Yeah. And I think he was smart with his investments too. I yes. think he seemed to be into, you know, where to, yeah. where to place these investments. Yeah. Where we read a study, I think it was last year in Forbes magazine where the average family that made half a million dollars a year in income walked away at the end of the year with about $8,000 in free cash flow. Yeah. Can you imagine? So they're I mean, spending almost all, everything they earned. Exactly. Yeah. And then we look, when you, when they looked at it, it was like each person in the family had like $1,100 car payments. Their average monthly payment was like four grand with property taxes and their payments. They had, you know, education components in there. I guess it's a component of it too, as well. And then they, they their tax amount at the end of the day, after all of that, they had about $8,000 to invest. Yeah. And you're making a half a million dollars as a family. I just think that just speaks to what we're trying to talk about here yes. is you're trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, yes, we just because you can doesn't mean you should. Exactly. Yeah. I love that story from yeah. Matthew McConaughey in his book, Green Lights, yeah. where after he had just made it right in like Days and Confused, it was like, all right, all right, that mm -hmm. little line there. By the way, in that Days and Confused, I thought it was interesting where the producer, he had just gone out with them the night, the next day he's like, show up in the car. And that's how he actually, he, cause he's trying to act, but he wasn't really doing it. Yeah. And he's like, just go be yourself what you would do. And so he's driving up. He's like, what do I say? And he just, he just stopped and he goes, and he said, all right, all right. And that's, it was not a script. It wasn't a yeah. planned line. And that actually, obviously, as we know, that's a famous line for him. But he was having a conversation. So the next movie he did, he kind of made it after that, right? And so they put him up in like a house. They had like a butler for him. They had like a maid, right? And mm -hmm. just a lot of pampering services. So he's telling, you know, his uh, woman that he's having dinner with. And he's like, yeah, he's like, they put me in this house. It's amazing. I have this view. And he's like, I've got this person. And they, the, you know, the maid comes in here and they press my jeans. And she goes, well, that's great if you like your jeans pressed. And he goes, holy shit. I don't like my jeans pressed. Yeah. I don't like them. Yeah. And so he goes green light. And that's like his, his moment. He goes, just cause you can, doesn't mean you should. Mm -hmm. And that's, so that's what, that's part of that whole thing is just cause you have the money to do something. You don't need to become this vacuum that gets sucked up into thinking that you need to go spend it on something to keep up with anybody. You will always feel better long-term about investing or saving majority of your money. I'm not saying all of it cause you can go have fun. I'm not saying that. And I like to too but saving the majority of your money and living below whatever mean level that is. So if you're making a hundred thousand dollars, you live below it. You could be making a million. And so their lifestyle will look a little bit different, mm -hmm. but you're still living way but below maybe your not, means. Depending on the person. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It may not be. Um, so that is money, right? We just wanted people to really start first, just take some orientation of yourself as what does money mean to me? And what values have I brought in that I'm still living with money? And by the way, am I communicative with money? Do we talk about money? Are you afraid to look at your bank accounts at the end of the month or a period of day? It's money is just a tool that you use and just get familiar with the fact that it's just a tool. So just start being in court and just start going introspective on there and trying to figure out what beliefs you have. Understand that there is a little luck to this. So if you made, had some bad luck, you pulled the probability card that it didn't work out. doesn't mean that you can't do it in the future. So get and it back. It doesn't mean that your thinking was not sound. Thinking. Exactly. Exactly. And then wealth is hidden. 
So the, the majority of, this is the other point about wealth is hidden. When you see people out there, just be careful about who you model. Like yes. the, the example that I've heard used before is, is Warren Buffett, right? Yeah. Mm. Because, um, most people, if you read his book, Snowball, uh, which is his, is it autobiography or biography? biography? Yeah. Yes. And, uh, it, it, Warren Buffett is a household name yet the way he lived his life was not a way that I would live my life. Right. Um, you know, and everyone's got their own way of doing it. I'm not judging. Everyone's got their own way of doing it, but he didn't, you know, he, he wasn't, he wasn't the best family person. I mean, just go read his book and you can, you can gauge yourself. But however, he dedicated his life to investment and he became a very wealthy person. So if, just be careful about who you're following because you, you, you can't, if you're going to go, I'm going to go do that. You're going to miss out. There's going to be sacrifices you're going to be making. Right. Right. And, and if you, and if you think you can only take that one component, yeah. it could be hard because it yes. could, that could be the anomaly of why that person was that successful because everything else which is why you always want to uncover, like when you're following somebody, you actually right. look at their whole life. Yes. Like what does their actual life look like? What is their, and we've seen this in the media, right? With individuals that have been called out who have, you know, oh, yes. like Rachel Hollis was in the yeah. news. And, well, and, even in Steve Jobs um, St yeah. biography, there was, I mean, people, people know that he yeah. had some difficulties with his family, I think yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but you look at him and you think, we're successful. Yeah. Okay, I want that life. Well, do you, do you, that's the question. Maybe you do. That's, that's the, that's for you to decide, yeah. right? Yeah. That's for you to decide, but you just to decide what kind of life you want to live. And then just make sure that if you want to take their investment profile, you can take that from Warren. I think he's got a lot of principles. So who you're following for kind of each category of your life. So just make sure if you're following somebody that is driving a Ferrari, make sure they're making a couple million dollars a year and they paid cash for it. Right. And then find out how they made their own money. Then you decide what you want to do with your money. Make sure they're not driving in. They have a $2,000 a month lease payment on there and they can barely afford their houses. And if everything, something were to go wrong, then they would be screwed and bankrupt because then you just follow the bad model. So just make sure you're very careful about who you're following for that. And that's wealth is, is hidden there. And understand that wealth is never going to bring you and money will not bring you happiness after about $75,000. I mean, the studies are clear on this as a household income after 75,000, it just doesn't put any more joy or happiness in your life, period. Right. And stop thinking that it does nothing wrong with any more money than that. There's nothing wrong with having more experiences. Just don't have any of that thinking that you're going to have more joy than you do now because you're just not going to. Um, and then, you know, the last point that I'll make about this is that it's with your money. If you're an optimist, you have to understand that you can, you can bring some pessimistic attitude towards money, which means that don't always think the world is going to be amazing. You can think that way, but then be a little pessimistic with your money, which means save it. You never know what's going to happen. Life doesn't unfold exactly how we want to. And you never know what's going to unfold. So you just want to make sure that you have reserves uh, in there. And it's fine to think optimistically. Just make sure that you're taming that with some pessimistic attitude about saving and investing your money so that you are secure for the future. Hey, everybody. Really cool announcement Hallie and I have. Achieve Freedom Coaching's Entrepreneur Summit just the words sound good. I mean, it's going to sign up just from the word is coming to you on July 21st. This summit will offer four hours of training from our expert coaches with a focus on productivity, efficiency, lead generation, mindset, and marketing. So don't miss this free opportunity to learn what you need to, to have an impactful second half of 2021. Hallie and I will both be there. All you have to do is go to businessinlifecoaching.com forward slash entrepreneurship summit to sign up. And we look forward to seeing you on July 21st.